Welcome to episode number six of the Yellow Brick Therapy podcast. My name is Jenny Helms, your host, and I'm really excited about today's podcast, like most podcasts, but today is extra special. It is an interview that I'm doing with one of my past clients who is a college student who works to do advocacy for mental health, for eating disorders, for social justice. She's an amazing human, and obviously I'm a little biased because I got to work with her, but I was really fortunate enough to be able to interview her and just have her share her story of recovery, her story of what her eating disorder was like and what it was like going through treatment, what was helpful, what wasn't. And we did this with the intention that we would provide some more advocacy for eating disorder treatment, that we could reach out to other people who are struggling with eating disorders and give them a message of hope and recovery, and also to help other mental health professionals with just understanding more about the nature of this illness and um, what just, you know, listening to one story of recovery and kind of gaining some information and knowledge from that. I think every story that we can share, we can learn from. Every person is unique and individual in their recovery story, but this one was a really good one, and I feel so grateful that she is somebody who loves to advocate about this stuff, and um, I'm not going to tell you her name, even though she's completely okay with that, unless she wants me to throw that in here later, Um, but essentially, this is a college student that had you know, about a year ago, been in a really bad space with her eating disorder and has now been six months um, undiagnosable. So she's still in the early phases of her recovery and she's very honest and real about that piece. But to give a story of hope of where she was a year ago, where we honestly weren't sure, we weren't sure if she was actually going to be going to college and now she's in a really good space in college, um, still working through other stuff in therapy, but undiagnosable as far as the eating disorder is concerned. So without much further ado, let's start in on the conversation. Moving into the questions now, Mm -hmm. I do want to hear a little bit about um, your story, your experience, you know, as little or as much as you want to share with, you know, having an eating disorder. And yeah, tell us specifically about your experience with an eating disorder. Um, well... I guess, wow, that's a hard question because I guess in high school was when it started. Um, so after my mom passed away, my like a month before my sophomore year, um, I started restricting after that. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I can't even like think of like what in my mind was like wow you have to start looking at calories now or like all of these things but after my mom passed away I started like really focusing on like how much I was eating calories like started I was like I have to eat really healthy all the time um I started exercising a lot more and like it kind of escalated Like, I started eating more um, my second semester of my sophomore year, but I was also exercising a lot more. So the exercising got kind of out of hand to the point that, like, I wasn't going to sleep until 3, 4 in the morning. If I hadn't exercised yet for at least an hour, I wasn't going to sleep, whether that be, like, really intense, like, HIIT workouts or, like... Um, like 30 minutes worth of like abs, like legs and stuff like that. Um, like I just wasn't going to sleep until I had exercised for at least an hour. And, uh, obviously with the program that I was in in high school, which I was in the international baccalaureate program, it was really <laughs> inconvenient. I hear that's a really easy program. Wow. <laughs> so easy. With very minimal stress. <laughs> wow (laughs) no stress at all like (laughs) so so much fun just good times (laughs) wow no it was and I feel like not that I was like less intelligent than a lot of my other peers but I just school didn't come 
as easily as it did for the other students that were in the IB program. Um, so most nights I was still up till midnight doing homework, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., depending on if I was doing a theater show at that point or not, because then obviously I would come home, I would have, I wouldn't get home until 6 o'clock, sometimes 8 o'clock during tech weeks, maybe 10 o'clock, it depended on um, kind of what phase we were in for the show, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't get home until late sometimes, and then I would have homework until super early in the morning, and then I I was exercising like a madman for ever. (laughs) So you'd stay up doing your homework, and then you'd exercise, and then you'd go to bed. Yeah, maybe. If, maybe. If you had time. <laughs> yeah. If I had time for sleep. <laughs> sleep was not a priority. <laughs> yeah. And then my junior year was when I, like, I stopped eating as much. And I started focusing more on, like, any way that I could get out of eating food, basically. Um, whether that be wow, my stomach hurts. Maybe I'm allergic to gluten. Maybe I'm, like, lactose intolerant. (laughs) I I don't know. I'm really feeling this vegan thing. (laughs) (laughs) Going through all the different ways that you can kind of restrict that are socially acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. It made it easier to, like, get out of, like, eating at social situations, too, because obviously if you have, yeah, like, Nobody's gonna force you to eat gluten or meat or whatever. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, no, you have a ethically, Yeah, it's against my ethics, or I physically can't. You know. Yeah. yeah. So it just was any way that I could think of, and then I started like looking at a lot of like online forums too that like girls with eating disorders would comment on or like mm-hmm. like. Um, Wow, Tumblr. That was a thing a couple of years ago. Yeah. Tumblr's really bad with that, too. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've tried to regulate it, but obviously you just keep making more and more and more accounts. So these girls talk about how they're not mm, pro-eating disorder, but then all of the content that they you know, provide there. and put out there, it's, yeah, it definitely doesn't help people with eating disorders in any way, so... You know. Right, right. <laughs> Without, I think, because I think sometimes we could give people ideas when we're talking about what there is out there, but, like, I think it's still important to recognize, like, that's very much a part of a lot of people's yeah. eating disorder is that at some point they're looking at material that kind of reinforces it, mm-hmm. and, yeah, unfortunately that stuff is out there. Yeah. Um, I'm even, I mean, I think I think we've talked about this maybe, at least I've talked about this with other some other people I've worked with, but I'm actually not a big fan of recovery accounts either because they tend to be so food and body obsessed still that I'm like, yeah, you're not, you're now you're obsessed with recovery versus obsessed with like all the other parts of your life. life. Yeah. And so, yeah, social media, I feel like is a game changer for eating disorders. I'm sure. Yeah. Cause it's like, there's so much more out there. Like obviously you can be recovered and, you know, not focus on food all the time. Right, right. (laughs) Like, I don't have time to, like, sit here and, like, wow. You don't post every meal you eat? (laughs) This Caribbean salad with, like, some super organic chicken, like, wow, that feta cheese on top. Like, like, I'm not going to sit here and, like, post, like, these, like, fancy, crazy-looking pictures, like, all the time on, like, my Instagram account and be like, wow, I'm recovered. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's so much more to life, like, than just eating food, I guess. Which yeah. I guess whatever helps you helps you, but I don't know. Just, like, not focusing on, like, those accounts has been kind of helpful for me. But, yeah. So I social media and stuff was kind of... A crazy point for me because that was like when I got like more ideas about like how I could skip meals like mm-hmm. excuses that you can give people like it just yeah. was not very good or productive for my life basically it's productive for the eating disorder but nothing else not for all your other parts <laughs> yeah yeah 
And then um, kind of around Halloween, my junior year was when I, like, did start purging. Um, It wasn't regular. It was maybe once a month. Um, Maybe, like, twice a month, if that, at first, because I was like, wow, this is wrong. Like, something, like, in my body initially was like, you should not be doing this. (laughs) This isn't right. Yeah, yeah. And it's not usually natural for people. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, fear at first, or, like, like, I'm scared, like, what would my family think if they found out? But, I don't know, after a while, I stopped doing it for, like, a short period of time, and then when I finally got my first job, I worked at um, a frozen yogurt place. Wow. Let me tell you, I love frozen yogurt. I love sugar. <laughs> sugar is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a meal for me. <laughs> but yeah. So obviously you want to eat it more, but then if you have an eating disorder, like all you can think about is like, Dude. I want this, but like, how do I get rid of this? And obviously when I was working and then like it was towards the end of the school year when I like first got this job. So I was like, still I was working a little bit during school like very very end um of my junior year so I didn't have time to like work work out and stuff which in my mind was like the Mm -hmm. go-to that was kind of your way of that was your purging behavior so to speak yeah yeah purging Yeah. yeah and then that summer was when I the summer before my senior year was when I started purging regularly pretty much once a day because it was really easy for me to not eat when I did have a job because I would go to work all day and then when I would come home I would just be like no I already ate I know you don't think frozen yogurt is like a meal but like wow I ate a lot of frozen yogurt today so I don't really want dinner kind of thing um to my dad when You know, he would tell me that there was, like, dinner in the fridge or something like that. Or I would take leftovers with me, but then, like, I wouldn't eat them kind of thing. Like, it was just a lot easier for me to make up those excuses Mm -hmm. whenever I was working. Because all of your time is filled with your job. Or at least I tried to fill it with my job because of the eating disorder and the fact that I, you know... Like money. <laughs> yeah. Money is good. Well, and you Sometimes. probably at that point also didn't know that usually when people are struggling with an eating disorder or if they're in recovery, we encourage them not to have jobs with food in yeah. them because of the nature of the disorder. But mm-hmm. I mean, again, at that point, you weren't really, you weren't really doing treatment mm-hmm. yet. So it was kind of like for you, it was a great idea, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. In my mind, I was like, wow, this is great. (laughs) I can use this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. And then, like, when I, like, did eat, obviously, I would, yeah, that was when I started purging my youth. (laughs) Quiet. But, uh, yeah, that was when I started purging regularly because I cannot resist frozen yogurt. (laughs) And then my senior year after I had stopped working because I had already been in the routine of purging for three months by that point. Like when my senior year started, that's when it started getting really bad because obviously for the international baccalaureate program, you have all of these tests and um, exams that you're preparing for. You have essays that you're writing like every week, like extended essays, like 4,000 word research papers and stuff over things that I have not studied before. <laughs> like, what is happening? How oh, it was, yeah, it was really stressful, and I, like, didn't know any other way to deal with my stress. So, yeah, that was when I started purging multiple times a day. I was still exercising, I was on dance team at that point. So, you know, my body was burning out fast. Mm. It was not good. And, you know, I started getting lightheaded 
a lot. Um, at the beginning, like, August of my senior year. And then, like, from that point on, like, I started, like, like, I was falling a lot in my room. Like, I wouldn't, like, pass out. But, like, you know, like, you would get, I would get a head rush, but it was, like, a lot more intense than most people did. So, like, it was different from passing out, but also... I was like incredibly close. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You scary are like enough. a hair away from mm-hmm. you. You're out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I I was starting to really feel the effects of my eating disorder, and I started talking to my friends about it. I had mentioned it a couple of times to my little sister. I told her I was like, I don't think that, you know my relationship with food is good. You know, I don't, like, I think I need to get help, but I don't, I don't want to tell dad. Like, I don't want to tell anybody. And, like, I told a couple of really, really close friends, and they were like, yeah, we've noticed. You, you don't look good all the time. You're extremely pale. You're extremely tired. You fall asleep in class all the time. I I had fallen asleep driving at least four times. Mm -hmm. Didn't you have an accident I did hit somebody's car it didn't do any <laughs> okay, damage didn't do any da- okay good <laughs> literally just knocked a little bit of dust onto their car but other than that like uh, both of our cars were fine I mean she might have been a little messed up after that like the the lady that I hit she was quite scared yeah <laughs> but yeah I yeah it was starting to get scary yeah because obviously you know, if you fall asleep driving, you can kill yourself and a lot of other people. Like, a lot of people can get hurt really bad. Right. And, um, like, I started drinking a lot of energy drinks even just to, like, get through the day. Like, that was how, that was the only way that I could manage remotely staying awake. But obviously, that wasn't good. Like, I, my heart would race all the time, like, my, like, I would get edema so bad in, like, my legs and my hands, like, it would hurt Mm. so incredibly bad to, like, move, just because I wasn't drinking water, like, I was purging water at that point, too, just because everything was scary. If I was putting it in my body, it was scary. (laughs) And so, yeah, I had really bad body aches because of that and obviously my heart hurt all the time um and then just an internal like ache and like everywhere (laughs) just because I feel like I was so cold all the time Mm -hmm. and then I passed out once in my house and my dad knew that something was up at that point, but he didn't know what it was. Or he didn't really he didn't really want to accept what it was. He had an idea that something was going on. Because he knew I wasn't eating what I should have been eating. And he knew that, like, just from looking at me, I was way too thin. Um, and then I passed out at practice for um, dance team. And... I just told my coach, I was like, it's probably just fatigue. You know, I'm so tired from staying up late for, like, my homework and everything. But then I messaged my friend later on that night, and she actually also deals with an eating disorder. Hers wasn't to the extreme that mine was at that point, but she was on her way. She within a couple of months was actually put into inpatient but she said you need to get help like even I am not passing out all the time and like doing this you need to get help Mm -hmm. and I was like okay (laughs) so well and I think I'm, I'm glad you're you're talking about this part of your story in particular because I think that's so common that like you it's like it was to me when you're telling me your story it was already scary like Mm -hmm. it was scary 
when you were working out at night and then doing your, like you were doing your homework and then working out and not getting enough sleep, like that was already scary to me mm-hmm. um, or a red flag for me as a clinician, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the people that I see, it's like they have to have like the hugest red flags. Like they have to have like the biggest things happen in their life for them to finally come to terms with it, almost like alcoholism. And I don't think people especially like, you know, talking about other therapists in the field, like I don't think they always catch it or, you know, recognize that usually it has to get that bad before people seek treatment. And it's, it sucks that it has to get that bad because yeah, usually treatment outcomes are a lot like the treatment outcomes are a lot less likely to be positive. I mean, they can be, and obviously like you're a kind of weird exception that you've been (laughs) doing so well, but like, you know, usually they're a lot less good and, you know, yeah. And the secrecy and the the denial and the hidden nature of it, you know, where I think a lot of therapy or therapists have people in their office that might be struggling with an eating disorder, but, or like they know of people in their lives maybe that might be struggling, but they don't really catch it until Mm -hmm. somebody's like, oh yeah, I passed out at school today because... (laughs) Oh, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten and I'm drinking all all this caffeine and, you know, just the conglomeration of all those behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I never thought that I was actually sick enough to get help. Like some weird illogical part of my mind told me, you know, unless you're dead, you're not sick enough to get help. Right. That's the biggest myth. Sick enough. Yeah. Quotation marks. I just... Like, I just didn't have any self-worth enough to think that I deserved help before that point. Yeah. So I, you know, I never said anything. And then obviously I was scared about, like, disappointing my family or, like, if my family would be angry that, you know, this was the only way that I knew how to deal with anything. Or if Mm -hmm. they would be angry that, you know, I didn't tell them before. Which, obviously, like, they're not really angry angry they're more they're scared mm-hmm. and it's coming out as anger but like to me anger was not something that I wanted <laughs> to deal with yes. that was <laughs> a no-go yeah. that was there are construction signs all around this like red flags orange signs like no you're not allowed <laughs> do <laughs> <Anger>. not pass <laughs> yeah no. anger was not allowed I was not allowed to make people angry. Like, it was one of the rules that I had made up in my mind, Mm -hmm. which, like, my eating disorder served as, like, a sort of, I guess, punishment, I guess, in a way. Like, if you make people angry, you don't get, you know, nutrients. Like, Mm -hmm. nutrition is not something you deserve (laughs) Mm -hmm. kind of thing, Mm -hmm. I guess. Like, you don't deserve to feel good. Yeah. And so, yeah, after I passed out, I... And I talked to my friend. I ended up messaging my coach. She got me into a counselor the next day because obviously it's not like a safe zone kind of thing where like they have secrecy that they can kind of hold. Like they have to tell someone because yeah, that they're mandated. Yeah. yeah because they're, they're a coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know probably at the time you're like, dang it. But <laughs> I definitely. Yeah. And. Um, so the counselor called my dad, and later on that day, you know, my dad started looking into, like, therapists and getting help. And so, I mean, obviously, I, and I still didn't, you know, my behaviors still kept going, even though my family knew and stuff. I just got better at being more secret than I already had been, I You got guess. really good at hiding your eating disorder. Yeah. Yep. Just because, you know, you want to make it seem like you're getting better, but you mm-hmm. also don't want to let go. So you just... Obviously, you've been doing a pretty dang good job at being secret already if, like, you've had it for three years almost. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, everybody knows, like, your secret is out. So it's just a matter of <laughs> trying to retain what little you can of... That disorder mm-hmm. and then especially after I got sent to the emergency room like they wouldn't even let me walk in because they thought I would go into cardiac arrest my potassium levels were so low mm. um it's scary yeah I was at uh 
2.2 potassium. I don't... Yeah. Which is... Wow. Like, you shouldn't be below (laughs) 3.0. So... That's incredibly scary. They said, like... Uh... You were, like, 0.2 away from not being able to, like, move Mm. anything. Mm -hmm. You just don't have the energy in your body to contract your muscles to, like, move. To move, yeah. So they, yeah. And they put me on (laughs) potassium pills that I had to take at home. Potassium chloride. You know, I'm not a doctor. But, yeah. (laughs) Wait, you're not? (laughs) Potassium pills. (laughs) Yeah. But, and then they also had me on a saline and potassium drip because I was, which was why I passed out, but I was so severely dehydrated. Yes. Because, you know, even water was scary at that point. Like, yeah, like I said, anything that I was putting into my body was terrifying. I would literally count, like, and I didn't have, like, a water bottle that I carried with me. Like, I literally would just count, like how many sips of water I got from, like, a water fountain. Like, ten sips, that's all you get for the day. That's it. <laughs> and, like, they're not, like, big, like... Gulps. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. So, after that, I got into therapy a couple of weeks later. It was, like, a week and a half later. Um, after they had started doing, like, regular, like, uh... So you weren't seeing a therapist before that? No. Okay, so it was after that. Okay. Yeah. After I was put in the emergency room, my dad got really scared. Right. After being initially just, like, Mm -hmm. he was, like, obviously scared. A little scared, scared, yeah. He was terrified at that point. And he jumped on it really fast. (laughs) Which... I mean, therapy is, I guess, hit and miss for a lot of people. Like, it's a very intimate kind of thing. So you have to have kind of the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. Or else you just won't have what little motivation you might have for getting better. It's just, it's kind of null and void, like... You, yeah, you, you need that to, connection, right? Like, yeah. that relationship with Which, that person. Like, my previous therapist, she she was good, mm-hmm. but she just wasn't the right fit for me. And so I wasn't getting better, wasn't getting worse, necessarily. But, I mean, I probably physically was getting worse because I was still acting, acting out. out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I wasn't... Like, yeah, I was just kind of in the same place I had been. Yeah. And so I think I had been with her for about a month, maybe a month and a half. And um, my dad was like, this is not working. Mm-hmm. She's not helping you, is mm-hmm. she? And I said, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I still was attached to my eating disorder, so I kind of was okay with her not working like, this for is me. Working for me, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but I feel good. For the eating disorder, yeah. Yep. And so my dad finally was like, "No, you are not getting better. <laughs> you absolutely not. This is not going to work." And so we ended up. Switching, um, and he started looking at therapists outside of our insurance. So obviously, after my mom passed away, it was just my dad that was caring for everybody. So finances were always have been, but mm-hmm. now were something that we paid attention to even oh, more. more closely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going somewhere outside of insurance was really scary because. Mm-hmm. Wow, where are we gonna pull this money from? Mm -hmm. We don't have that. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, (laughs) kind of having little like blurbs in here, but like, I think that's the other piece that can be such a hard part of recovery for people is that often 
there are so many expenses to recovery and like, how do we make that affordable? How do we make more insurance companies, um, recognize the severity importance of treatment of eating disorders and cover, you know, more people that work specifically with eating disorders. But I mean, that's a whole different can of worms, but I do think it's important to like talk about that piece because yeah, that's so relatable that recovery is scary because of the expense part. And especially if you already have that personality, that's like, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to make them angry. You know, I definitely see that. Well, I don't want my parents to spend, or I don't want, you know, my, my husband and I to spend this money and cause a potential financial burden. And I'm putting that in quotation marks because I think all of that money is so worth it. But I think at the time it's so scary for a person who, doesn't like disappointing people or causing stress or any of that. Yeah, and I definitely like Bert. Like I just anything that I did that wasn't you know proactive to like getting into college, making my family happy or proud. Like if it wasn't something that I knew my parent, I guess in like a spiritual sense my my parents would be happy with then it wasn't something that I wanted to deal with or that like you know I felt okay with dealing with so you know looking at therapy outside of that like care or coverage was something that was really scary for me too And then even, like, looking later on down the line, like, when I was in therapy, Mm. doing therapy two times a week (laughs) was, who, (laughs) that was kind of a budget buster. And even potentially looking at inpatient care is really scary because, you know, my family is already really struggling to afford college because I am in college now. I, yeah... I now know what my dad was talking about. There was no way it would have been possible for me to have gone inpatient and then us afford college. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't have been feasible Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Even if I would have, you know, gone to college here in the city, like, it just, we didn't have the funds. Yeah. It just wasn't, yeah. And... So that that was a really, really scary point, I guess. For for me, in my mind, like, thinking about all of the money and all of the stress my dad had to go through for me to afford therapy did not help, like, with getting better. Mm-hmm. Just because... You're kind of taking on their stress, too. Yeah. Right? And feeling responsible for what they're responsible for well and I mean it's like when you're not an adult you can't like you don't live on your own or anything like that like Mm -hmm. the stress that's in the house everybody feels that Mm -hmm. so obviously like you're already stressed because you're anxious you're thinking about all the stress that you could be putting on other people Mm -hmm. but on top of that like I don't know there's just a lot of pent up anger and stress that like you don't talk about Mm -hmm. from before the finances were ever a problem let alone when the finances are thrown in so yeah but that that was the hardest part think about like going to a different therapist Mm -hmm. but then when I did get into therapy with a new therapist (laughs) <laughs> I wonder who that was yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you know just the connection was a lot better and I, I don't know if it was because of their history <laughs> your history yeah you can I, say that That's yeah really okay fine. yeah um but I don't know if it was because of your history that like helped with the connection or your personality, whatever it was, but just, yeah, it, it helped a lot. And I don't know, I think it came from a place of, I understand where you're at in your life. I've been there too a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
here's some good therapy tea for you. <laughs> therapy tea, yeah. Well, and I, I, I definitely, I think there's, I mean, because even in my experience, my therapist has gone through an eating disorder, and I'm not saying that the only effective eating disorder therapists have to have gone through yeah. it, but I definitely think in my mind, because of the uh, psychological space that I was in, they definitely, I could trust them a little bit more. I felt like she could call BS on me a little bit more because yeah. she was like, I get parts of this that I know other people don't get. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and it's not that anybody's eating disorder experience is identical or exactly the same, but there are parts of it and there's nature to it that, mm-hmm. you know, unless you've been there or maybe been in, like, addiction or maybe something similar to that, mm-hmm. like, you don't get that, like, you, it's hard to really fully empathize with those parts um or even catch them yeah (laughs) right and I think that's why eating disorders can fall under the radar sometimes and again from really good therapists they Mm. can fall under the radar because there's very sneaky little pieces to them um I was very sneaky myself and yeah my my therapist was was good at calling me out and thankfully for that because I I think if it were other if it was somebody who maybe didn't know the nature as well, like I could have gotten away with things for a lot longer and I wouldn't have recovered as soon as I did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everybody's experience is different, but I'm glad that like, I mean, I'm glad you felt a connection and um, I do. And I, I think regardless of whether somebody works with me or works with another eating disorder therapist, I think that's a huge piece of it. Like you've got to somewhat feel connected or like that person is safe Mm-hmm. Or that you can, yeah, you can tell that person your stuff, especially like the icky, icky stuff that you're like, I've been hiding this from myself, from other people, like, yeah, you know, to to have a person that you could actually share those parts with, so that you can work through them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's sometimes hard to find that right fit because I I mm-hmm. saw a couple of therapists before, and the one that had really helped me you know, work and grow so much as a human. And before that, I actually, it's funny, I thought therapists were a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and like, now I'm a therapist, but, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I had had some pretty, um, just disconnected experiences from therapists and I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you if they were good or not. And it honestly, it was probably, it had more to do with me at that time. Like I was not ready to absorb therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a pain in the butt. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is also a good point. Like, I, I, you know, obviously at that point, I was so terrified that I wasn't going to college. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't going to get away from a lot of the stressors, which, like, isn't a, like, good way to deal with stress. Like, you should deal with them up front and, like, mm-hmm. not run away from them. But, I mean, I think it comes to a certain point when you feel like you've exhausted all of your options that like sometimes you do need that extra space like a family system might not you know work that well that close together Mm -hmm. like in the same space yes like I love my family dearly but wow they drive me crazy (laughs) (laughs) well and I I mean isn't that so true of most if not all family systems like you know I had a professor that would make the comment like Everybody around Christmas time and Thanksgiving time, which is kind of relevant right now, um, we all shrink a few inches when we go home and, and visit our family, even if we're in our 60s, because there's just family dynamics there and stuff. And, you know, the people that you grew up with, there's always I think it's a it's a good and growing experience that there's going to be some anxiety. There's going to be some like stuff to be worked through still like that's very normal yeah but we have to be able to acknowledge that <laughs> <laughs> right which I mean we <clears throat> we eventually worked on in therapy that yes. you know you have to deal with these stuff this stuff at some point or at least yeah you know grieve what people can't be for you what you hope for them to be yes and so that was later on in therapy, but <laughs> I was ready to get into therapy and, like, get help because, you know, at that point, I wanted to run away from everything. And so not having that option anymore, not being able to control, you know, where I'm going in my life and feeling like everything is being controlled for me, that was not okay. Mm-hmm. And so that scared me 
into therapy. <laughs> and then it was the work after that that was like, well, you know, you're kind of being a little bit crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, so. And how do we get some of that? control back in a healthy way right yeah. not the control of the eating disorder that illusion of control but like you really making decisions from your healthy parts and mm-hmm. yeah because yeah a lot of people are kind of forced into therapy typically yeah I mean and there wasn't really a lot of force I literally was like oh. you're ready to go <laughs> I can't get into somebody that <laughs> you know uh. No, I think that's so good, though. It's so good. Um, But I do, I, you know, yeah, I remember, you know, with your family system and just, like, the fear there. And originally when you first came in, that that thought that you weren't going to college. I remember that being, like, a big theme of, like, is she going to college? Because right now we're planning on her not going to college. Yeah. It was just, yeah. And it wasn't even, like, just not going to college. It was not going to college at that time, where I wanted to go. Yeah. Because I was so focused on controlling my life, I felt like everything was going to fall apart if I didn't go where I wanted to go or where I thought was best for me. You know, I didn't think I would be able to amount to anything in my life if I didn't go exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> and so that that was a really big factor too because initially it was like well she might go to college but she'll have to stay at home and go to this college or you know she won't go to college at all Mm -hmm. like that's the stipulation you will go where I tell you to go or else you're not getting any help whatsoever which is also scary because you know I'd never been financially independent before so you know having that kind of thrown in my face I you know didn't know what to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah I was like okay when's the next session (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah and so I guess that kind of leads into like my next question for you which again you can share as much as you want to or not um because I know the nature of the fact that I did therapy with you like you're not probably going to talk about all the ways I messed up but like still that would be helpful for me you totally can (laughs) um but I I just am curious you know for for me and for other therapists or people you know looking to go into therapy um what was helpful what was not helpful about therapy Mm. it's a really and because I have been out of therapy for a couple of months now it's a little bit difficult for me to actually remember like all of the like things that were good or bad yeah Yeah, for sure for sure like I can barely remember um wow what what I ate last night for dinner let alone (laughs) but a couple months ago yeah I just from my first therapist I definitely remember there was a lot of talking at me rather than me talking to her Mm -hmm. so I would say one thing like well, I've been really anxious today. This is why you're anxious. This is why you're anxious. This is why you're anxious. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Wow. So good. But, like, how do I deal with that mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It just it felt more like she was giving me, like, she was, like, giving me the reasons. But, like, I know the reasons why, I guess, sometimes. How do I deal with that? Like, I have... This this is the only way that I know how to deal with it. Like, my eating disorder is my way of dealing with these problems. Right. So thank you for telling me these problems, but um, I don't know where to go from here. Right, I just, right. I felt really lost. She's giving more business to your eating disorder rather than putting it out of business, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> right? I'm just... It yeah. was initially when I got in, like, there was no helping me. Like, it was, you're going inpatient probably Mm -hmm. in a few weeks if you can't get your act together. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't even know you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't even remember your name half the time. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not, no. And I think that's when my dad realized she's not working. I can't remember her name. So, um, probably not. (laughs) 
<laughs> just wasn't a connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it was not what I needed, I guess. Everything was amounted to, I have anxiety, so that also developed into an eating disorder. Or, I have anxiety, so, like, now I have depression. Like, anxiety was the only thing that, like, was the focus. Mm. And it was the only thing that she really... I guess, took any sort of notice of. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really help when there are so many different layers to it. Mm-hmm. Like, you you have to focus on, like, a bigger picture. Obviously, like, within sessions, like, you can't focus on, like, wow, I have anxiety and depression and, like, <laughs> like, all of these different things. Like, you have to, like, break it down session by session. But, I mean... You know, not everything is amounted to, like, this one thing. Like, it's all just, like, a mesh and, like, jumbled up kind of hodgepodge of problems Mm -hmm. that this person has that they need to work through. (laughs) I've I've heard it because I talk about it as a cake, like, in our therapy sessions. But I also, like, the treatment process I've heard, I heard a metaphor that I now use, which is, like, you could fix, if, like, you have a roof and there's all these different holes in it you could fix one hole and so it won't leak through that hole right so maybe the anxiety was one of the holes and it was a big hole but there's still all these other holes in your roof right and yeah. so when the rain comes you're still there's still leakage mm-hmm. um so I've, I've heard of it as being like you need to just address every hole as it comes up and then eventually you'll have all the holes addressed but yeah it's not it's usually not just one hole there's usually yeah. a bunch of different factors that have to be yeah. treated and so, yeah, and you could fix one hole and be like, all right, I did this. Yeah. And the rain comes and you're like, dang it. <laughs> There's still some other holes we need to work yeah. to work on. So and it's like, and for me also a big thing was like dealing with that like perfectionist side and like learning through therapy that, you know, that you still have these problems. Like they were still holes in this metaphorical roof. Yes. So, you know, sometimes that patchwork you done did, it's good. You know, you're going to have some leakage <laughs> still yes. in that said hole. Yes. <laughs> like, I still have anxiety problems, which is just I know how to deal with them in a much more productive and healthy way. Right. Your strategies are different now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, and we, we were kind of, you know, talking about this earlier where it's like, and, you know, I wish that touring people of their eating disorder, like, getting them through full recovery from the eating disorder meant their life was, like, awesome from that point forward. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, while it's way better because you're not having the eating disorder, you're still going to have those relational problems and the anxiety issues that are unresolved still, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean all your other stuff is resolved mm-hmm. and that, yeah, you're going to have layers to go through. But... That goes for every person. Like, we never arrive, so to speak. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if we can get you to a higher quality of life where you're, like, living your life and actually, you know, again, you know, living from a place of of creativity and productivity and, like, your your best self versus, like, being obsessed about food all the time or your anxiety all the time. Like, that's that's great, right? That's progress. That that was like one of I think the most like helpful parts was because I am such an extreme perfectionist like (laughs) you're gonna perfect recovery right yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like thinking that you know I'm going to go through therapy and then everything is going to be perfect from then on I'm gonna know how to deal with all problems that I will ever have in the future wow, nothing is going to stop me, nothing is going to, you know, shock me anymore. Yeah, I've already had an eating disorder. No. <laughs> like, life still happens, huh? Learning that that, you know, learning that life is messy and that that's okay mm-hmm. was, I think, the biggest, you know, thing that helped me. That and anger. Talking about anger. <laughs> because obviously... You know, like I said earlier, anger is something that wasn't allowed. Like, it was a rule that I had made up in my mind. So that also meant talking about anger. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I couldn't talk about 
any anger that I even had, let alone accept the anger that other people had. Yes. Like, it just, there was something in my brain that said, no. <laughs> so talking about, like, anger and kind of removing the stigma around how anger is, like, obviously it's not a good emotion that you want to feel feel like it doesn't feel good to be mm-hmm. angry unless you're talking in like a um I don't know what is the word can't even think of the word right now <laughs> <laughs> wow interesting but like it doesn't like yeah it's not a good emotion to like feel or receive so I just yeah like it doesn't feel good even though it's an important emotion yeah mm-hmm. it's like not bad emotion like all emotions are just emotions Mm -hmm. society has just placed like these kind of connotations yes around like these certain emotions like they're not bad they Mm -hmm. just don't feel very nice (laughs) well yeah some some of them are uncomfortable to feel especially you know again if we've been socialized to think of them as bad yeah right or if we've only seen them have negative impacts right so Mm -hmm. like you know anger and I mean I know we've talked about this like anger is such a good and wonderful thing like itself because it helps us realize who we are and say no and set boundaries and like it can be such a learning important part of ourself and self-respect but the problem is when we think of anger we think of like violent people we think of like all the ways that it's hurtful yeah because the strategies that people use to deal with their anger are can be very hurtful. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, that connotation of anger is being bad because the strategies people use to process their anger can be really hurtful, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's the outward anger or that internal anger where they just stuff their yeah. anger and yeah. say no to their <laughs> anger, right? Which yeah. is, you know, a lot more what I, I typically see with eating disorders. Now, every now and then I do see the, the more outward, violent, aggressive, and, you know, and teeter-tottering between the two, but um, I definitely see more of that. Which, I mean, internal I, anger. I did. Because, like, at some point, like, you just, there's so much anger inside of you. It has to come out one way or another. Yes. Like, when you've been, like, pen, like, when anger has been building for three plus years like obviously I was angry before the eating disorder so like when the eating disorder habit started slash like the eating disorder itself started like they're just obviously the physical was the eating disorder but then like I also would have like very like violent aggressive like hysterical like moments where I would lash out at everyone and everything. Like, I've broken tons of things in my room just because, like, literally was like a tornado. Mm. (laughs) Like, everything was destroyed. My room was ripped apart. Like, I just... There was just a lot of anger that I wasn't dealing with. Right. And when, when it does finally come out and it comes out like that... I'd imagine that would be a very scary experience because you're like, well, anger sucks. I just tore my room apart. Like, right. <laughs> anger is awful, right? And then it kind of reinforces that, like, I'm just going to stuff it way deep down even more, and I'm going to nail it this time. Yeah. Right? But that yeah. doesn't typically work out. <laughs> but luckily, I was in therapy when that started, like, it, it started happening before Obviously, I started working with you, but then, mm-hmm. like, when I started working with you, they start, they, it happened less and less mm-hmm. as I learned how to deal with therapy and as we started doing, like, family sessions, mm-hmm. which also was a really, really good thing for yes. me. Because, obviously, you want to, like, if you have problems in the family system, which all family systems do, mm-hmm. like, it's just a natural people-to-people thing. You're going to have problems <laughs> at yes. some point. Yes. And so... You know, feeling unsafe in your home and feeling like you don't have a space to talk or like your voice won't be heard. Obviously, that doesn't help you voice said anger. So you just keep stuffing because you don't feel like you have an out for what you want to say or for, you know, the things that you think are important or what is making you angry. And so, like, having those family sessions 
was so important for me because I did have a safe space where I could talk, but also my other family members could be heard as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm biased because I love family sessions, even though (laughs) families don't always love them. Like, I think they're just, they can be just so powerful. And obviously I love working with the individual too, but it's like, there's some magic that happens usually when you can get some more family members in the room and. No. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was good. And my dad, (laughs) every time, every family session, my dad was like, really? Again? He's one of my favorite parents that I think (laughs) back on because he was just like always worried that he was in trouble or like, (laughs) he was just like, oh no. Every single time. I had to go in. (laughs) He he would ask me, he said, you know, what have you been telling her? I'm in trouble now, aren't I? She's going to, she's going (laughs) to. therapist me up isn't she (laughs) like he was so resistant but he's definitely and then he'd come in and like it was just I felt like it was always just such a good at least for me it was a good experience um but it was just so funny how he'd come in and be like am I in trouble or like like all right we're not talking about me we're talking about her like (laughs) he just he'd crack me up but uh (laughs) such a good heart so anyway that was I just always enjoyed that but yeah yeah so I think I'm gonna kind of wrap it up and asking you one last question about are there any resources or books I don't know if you actually read any books or had any resources that like were helpful for you um but looking back did you read anything or watch a movie or TED talk or anything that was like helpful for your recovery I mean When I was still acting out, I just, you know, in my mind, I was like, this is BS. Like, I don't care about this. When I would watch, like, a TED Talk about it, Mm -hmm. like, wow, it's great you're in recovery, but, like, (laughs) here I am still in it, doing my stuff, like. In the trenches. I just, you know, it would make me angry a little bit, like, with myself, I guess, that, like, I wasn't better and that my family, you know, was still dealing with this. My friends were still dealing with this, like, with me. Mm-hmm. and my stuff so like when I was going through like when I still wasn't in recovery then like yeah it it was hard for me to sit down and like swallow what these people were saying mm-hmm. because I wasn't in recovery yet and most of it is coming from people who are I guess considered fully recovered you know um I think there was a TED Talk that we watched in group therapy mm-hmm. that was a little bit helpful. Um, but at that point, I had, you know, stopped acting out, mm-hmm. which was a little bit of a game cha- was a huge game changer, obviously, <laughs> for everything. But <laughs> it, it was a game changer as well as far as, like, my outlook on other people and what they had to say on, like their experiences with eating disorders which Mm. I think is important as well because like everybody's experience with an eating disorder is different so sometimes it's a little annoying I guess in my mind yeah (laughs) because a lot of people just oh you have anorexia okay so did this person watch this person yeah you can relate I mean yeah every process every therapy is gonna need to be tailored to that person yeah absolutely but yeah, it's not a it's not a cookie cutter recovery process. I think if it were, we'd see better rates of recovery. Right? Yeah, like I think it'd be easier. I think there'd be more people in our field. Like mm-hmm. that's such a good point. So such a good point. Do you remember what it was about the TED Talk? Um, because <laughs> I'm like I've shown a few different TED Talks. I'm like, which one? There's like that one about beauty sickness. That one. That one. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can put a link in. Yeah. that one that one's really I think that one's good for every single human being that's ever yeah. struggled with their body or body image which is basically probably everybody listening <laughs> um, so yeah I think that one is especially important for all humans um, but definitely I think helps for people who are going through recovery because you know typically I think it's about 80% of their self-worth is wrapped up in their body image yeah and so which I yeah. think is why it helped at that point, because I had stopped acting out, so it was just working on 
the existing body image issues that, like, I had before the disorder, during the disorder, and obviously, like... And through recovery, that's, like, the last thing. I mean, even, I would say that some people, like, so even, like, I would consider myself fully recovered, and it's been over 10 years since um, I was diagnosable, but, like, that doesn't mean I love my body 100% of the time, every single day, and never, ever struggle with body image, right? I think there's some normalcy to that, but... Mm -hmm. I don't ever revolve my life around it. I don't let it ruin my day or my week like I used to. Yeah. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Thank you so (laughs) much for sharing your story. Like, I know it takes a lot of courage, and I think it's helpful for people to just, you know, whether they're, you know, in recovery, right, but, like, also the audience of therapists to hear Mm -hmm. a story and, like, how it's progressed and hear, like, the realness of, like, your recovery journey like I think that's mm. I don't know just takes so much courage so I think I it's fun that. yeah it is I mean <laughs> it is if you're in a space where you're ready to talk about it right like, I feel like I'm in a way always kind of ready to talk about it I feel like a lot of girls do get scared to talk about it because there is like stigma surrounding it but I literally I don't care like I feel like <laughs> I feel like if I can talk about it then like yeah. the more people will talk about it yeah or yeah. like the more that my friends, if they are struggling, will, you know, want to go get help and yeah. or people that I know will want to go get help because, you know, if you never talk about it, then. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Then that, yeah, that adds to the shame, that adds to the stigma. So thank you for destigmatizing this and kind of helping <laughs> that mission that I think, you know, eating disorder professionals, but also like recovered people are, are on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Cool. <laughs>